Lord, indeed, this building is but an empty shell, and all our gathering and our works and efforts mean nothing if if your presence does not come and that you do not go with us and you do not speak to us this morning and revive our hearts with your living word and your spirit. Father, we pray that you would be able to work freely unhindered, that we would be able to set aside all distraction and prejudice and the weakness of the flesh, that we would be able to hear and to respond and to, as Lazarus, come forth and be changed and transformed by your word. Father, we wish to be like you, to follow you the way, the truth, and the life. And we pray for your grace to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. For meditation, uh, let's turn this morning to the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. I'd like to begin reading from verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, beginning from verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat." And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, where there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's also turn to uh, the epistle of Paul to Ephesus, the Ephesians. Chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And let's begin reading from uh, verse 20 giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as God also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man yet ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and it cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Right to the end of the chapter. The Lord is worthy that we bow before him in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're glad and rejoice in our hearts to have been given this day where we can come together and come before thy word to hear it and to allow our minds to settle on it, to reflect upon it so that we can compare ourselves against thy word and allow thy word to look into our hearts, to judge our thoughts and the intents of our heart, that we may be pure and that we may be completely open before thee. For Father, our are coming to thee as we do together as a body of believers has a special blessing where thy spirit is with us, where thy son, as it says in thy, in thy word, it's in our midst, beholding our walk and looking at how, Lord, we, we understand thy will. And we know, Lord, that our understanding is based upon our willingness to do the things that we already know. And we thank thee, Father, for the word now that is before us. We ask thee to speak to us, even though these verses are familiar to all of us. We pray that they may become very new to us this morning, and that there may whatever lessons thou hast, hast for us to learn, that we may be able to grasp it. And not only grasp it, but that as we leave this place today, and thou would grant us life and breath in days to come, that we would find the courage and the humility to follow through with the convictions that we have experienced today. We do pray, Father, for thy spirit to convict us. We rely, Lord, heavily upon thy spirit's leading, for it is thy spirit that dwells in us, that guides us and gives us direction and shows us the way in which we need to live so that we may allow Jesus Christ to dwell in us and his life to be lived out in us. We pray for our brother, thy servant, Lord, who would speak thy word. We pray, Father, thou would give him understanding, allow him to be free of himself and allow thy spirit to move and to inspire and direct his thoughts as thou would. We pray, Father, for those that are hindered for health reasons or for other obligations that are not able to be here. 
We pray, Father, that thou would visit them and also bless them. And we know, Lord, that it is thy will for the family of God to be mindful of each other and to pray for one another, and we see the blessing of doing so. We pray, Father, for the children downstairs who are once again exposed to this word. And, Lord, they are living in a time where they are going to be challenged in so many ways. And, Father, we do not need to tell thee this, for thou knowest better than us the challenges that they face and that we face. And yet, Lord, we trust thee that that word that is planted in their hearts would one day bring forth fruit unto thy glory and that they would find find it in themselves because of the conviction of thy spirit to believe and to follow the things that they have learned from their youth and to be able to recognize the world as it is, the vanity of this world and the direction that the world is taking. And Lord, that they may be able to lay hold upon eternal life and choose wisely while they have the opportunity. This is our prayer for them. And we pray now, Lord, as we we partake in this great blessing of coming together and opening thy word. And we see that this is done throughout the face of this earth. And it comes with a great calling, a great responsibility. Allow us, Lord, and work within us to make sure thy word is proclaimed in its entirety. And in no way, Lord, would man hinder or step in, in the way of being able to proclaim thy truth as it is. We pray that wherever thy word is preached on this earth, that it would be preached in, in, in the spirit of truth, in, in thy fear, Lord, and that many men would yet be able to believe and forsake sin and cling to the truth. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dearly beloved brothers and sisters and friends, we have read together of the very beginning when God created all things and they were very good. His initial design before there was sin, before there was a flaw, God created man and gave him, man and woman, created them in the image of God, gave them that dignity and respect and value, and he gave them responsibility. Even before the fall, there was a dominion that was given to them. They were to be responsible for for nature, for the fish and the the fowl. He says to them, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So all the living things that, that God had created, he put man and woman in charge of that and, and gave them a responsibility. He told them also to be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, to, to take care of it. Sometimes... Uh, there's this mistaken idea, that, um, especially among maybe conservationists, among that you know, if, if we would just get rid of people, then the earth would return to its pristine, initial, natural condition, and all would be much better. And, and certainly, the earth would be far better without pollution and, and without the abuse 
of, of authority that a man has done over the living things of this earth. But you can tell the difference, and, and certainly, uh, well, maybe if you don't look at my yard, maybe you couldn't tell if I've been taking care of it or not, but in those people who have a green thumb, you can tell when someone who's a gardener has, has been taking care of the earth, even as, as God put Adam in charge of a garden. And, and that you can tell whether the placement and, and uh, the weeding, well, thankfully there weren't weeds back there, but then still there is design and there are things that, that, that please the eye. Uh, we were at a hotel this past week. Thankfully, IBM was paying. And uh, there were lots of people who, who were taking care of the grounds, and you could tell. And, uh, you know, my wife would stop every 10 feet and have to take a picture of the beautiful flowers and everything that were there that you could tell. That, and I noticed, you know, that there was, you know, someone who was not only spraying and, and, and caring, but there was someone who was driving by about four times that day with his, his uh, um, vehicle picking up the bikes that needed to be repairing and the boats that needed to be repairing. There was constant maintenance going on. Because for things to be beautiful and to be enjoyed, it, there's a, a responsibility, there's a dominion, there's a care, there's a nurturing that's involved. And that's been there even before the fall, even before the weeds and the thorns sprung up. So God gave each of us this, this desire and this ability to, to take some sphere of life, and it's different for different people, and to be responsible and to have dominion over it, not to, to be a tyrant, not to just extract goodness and, and to be colonialists that, you know, rape it for its, uh, you know, uh, uh, resources and, and leave it out, to, but rather to, to nurture and make it fruitful and to be more fruitful with our guidance in our protection than it would be if left to itself. And this picture that God has given of, of, of man being responsible over his creation, that he has placed them there as a privilege, and yet being accountable to him, I think is a picture that applies to all of our relationships We've read together in, in Ephesians 5, the, the verse that kind of sums it all up in, in one verse here. Turn back to it. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This idea of submission is certainly out of favor today. But it applies. And surprisingly, maybe you haven't thought about it, but it applies even within the very Godhead. So even before the events that we read of this morning, for eternity past, there was the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Son lived in submission to the Father, not because he was any less than, he was of the very same essence of the Father, but yet they had roles 
And there was a beauty and there was a harmony and there was a fruitfulness that came out of that. They, they said, let us create man in our image. And they created this beautiful universe as a fruit of their own creativity out of the beauty and balance of that initial community that was there. There was no tension, no tyranny, but there was submission. There was authority. There was dominion, delegated dominion, as, as the Father delegated to our Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and gave him a responsibility, a charge here on earth. And as he learned obedience, even through tears, because there are things that we learn, even the Lord Jesus learned through tears and through suffering. And he chose of his own will to say every word that I speak, I speak not of myself, but of my Father, who is every work I do because he has shown me, and not my will, but your will be done. And in that picture of submission, we do not see a weak doormat who has no will of his own, who is a mere puppet, but we see the strongest and the greatest of all heroes. We see the one who chose, not his will, but the higher will, and through it redeemed us for all eternity. And in that pattern, we see the best and the most beautiful way that we can relate to the authorities in our life. So here we read about a very basic institution that God uh, created the very next chapter in Genesis chapter 2. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will create for him a helpmeet. And that the two shall become one flesh and leave father and mother, even though Adam and Eve had no father and mother. He, he created this institution. And we know there are those today who would like to tinker with that and redefine that. But God, the creator, created what was very good on that sixth day. And here he gives us the spirit in which what is very good works very well. It tells us that we are all to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then he goes into specific roles that the wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now this is extremely out of favor. Um, and I remember um, probably even more so when I was younger, feeling a real uh, uh, check and, and difficulty fighting against the spirit of the age to preach in season, out of season on this very plain verse. Because, you know, public school tried to indoctrinate me that you should never make a distinction between genders and that, you know, we are all equal and there it is true. The Bible says there is neither male nor female, barbarian or Scythian, ethnicity, gender. None of that matters 
in Christ. <clears throat> but that does not mean that there are not different roles and different dominions that are given to everyone. Different areas that we are called to nurture and to cherish and to build up and to cause to flourish and become fruitful. <clears throat> and so here, the wives are asked to submit themselves to their husbands as unto the Lord. And the whole backdrop, as we are probably very familiar in this, this chapter that's often preached on at weddings, is that the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church, and that the church is submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ, but, but out of love, not out of tyranny. To, to a Lord who has, who has won us, who has purchased us by his blood, who has hung on the cross by his own choice in submission to his Father so that he could demonstrate his love to us, so that we could choose to respond to that incredible, unmeasurable love that is no height nor depth nor any other creature can separate us from, that cannot be even contained in, in words. And that the response to that is a trusting submission, a willingness to choose the way, not our way, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes we, uh, there, there's a lot of discussion about how do you know the will of God? And it often comes up when there's big decisions to make. Perhaps, you know, you've got to choose career, a helpmate in life, or, or other big decisions. How do you know God's will? And then there's various, you know, techniques that, that sometimes are practiced where you might flip open the Bible and point to a verse or maybe look for a sign or various things that you try to figure out God's will. <clears throat> but really, God's will is not something external that, that we need to find from time to time when we don't trust our own reasoning abilities because there's much more at stake and we don't want to make a mistake for things that will affect us for decades and perhaps eternity. That at that point, we need to find out God's will. But rather, God's will is not only in the Scripture, in the principles that he's taught us, but in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the way. And as we submit our will to him, someone who's walking through the forest, what point is he going to be wondering where the path is? Only when he is off the path is he looking for the path. When he's on the path, he's on the path. There's not a searching for the path. He merely, means to, merely needs to continue to remain within that narrow path. In the same way, we don't need to search for God's will if we are in his will and if we are submitting our will to his as the church is to submit to the Lord and as he has laid out for the church some specific commands that sometimes we, we try to uh, qualify and diminish and say might be for another time, another people, another gift uh, for someone else. But just as Adam and Eve were given the command to be fruitful and to replenish the earth, we, as the church, have been given a command 
to be fruitful and to replenish the earth. We have been told to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and peoples and language groups, of which there are still some many few thousand that have still no native witness of the gospel, no scripture in their own language, no, uh, the job is not done. The church has not fulfilled the command of Jesus Christ. And sometimes, as I see the amount of effort that, you know, we pour into getting the schoolwork done and getting things done, and I would think, you know, if if we would put a fraction of the time and resources and focus into expanding God's kingdom in fulfilling God's command to us as his church, as we do into the many other demands that culture and expectation places on us, I'm sure God's kingdom would flourish far more. It really, you know, as you go away and you have a chance to look back and a bit of perspective on life and you I've probably lost that perspective within the first day of being caught up on the pressures and demands and having to be at three places at once. And, but, but looking at the big picture, you know, is my ladder on the right wall, the ladder that I'm climbing? Am I really focused on the right goal? Is my energy, am I doing, is the church doing God's will? It's not an individual thing. It's something we do collectively. It's something we support each other. But the church is not a building. It's the people of God. It's the living stones. And those living stones are building one another up and every one of them has been given gifts individually, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. Everyone has been baptized into one baptism. Everyone has been given that same Spirit and everyone has been given individual abilities that serve to build up this building and that this building, not this building, but this living body of Christ, an identifiable body of Christ, because when you read the scripture, what what did Jesus say about the church? Very little. There's really two passages where Jesus specifically uses the word church. The one is where Peter makes that confession of faith that Jesus is the son of the living God, and Jesus says, upon this rock will I build my church of this confession of faith. The other is in Matthew 18, where we talks about accountability, about church discipline, about this relationship with each other that we care about each other enough to correct one another, to hold each other accountable. And this is not something you can do with the universal church body of Christ. It's only something you can do with an identifiable group of people you're committed to and who are committed to you. And which is why church membership is an important thing. Because in Jesus' teaching, if there is no accountability, it doesn't define. It's the one of the few characteristics he mentioned of the church is that we care about each other enough. And we need to make sure that 
We don't give in to the spirit of the age, the pressure of autonomy, the pressure of we all know better and we can think for ourselves and we don't really need anyone overseeing us and, and we'd rather, and there are ways to be opaque and, and uh, you know, hide our own choices and decisions in our lives as, as the trend is within society the pressure is on the church that we no longer have that closeness that we can have visibility and be welcome and enjoy that close-knit sharpening of iron sharpening iron of, of true brotherhood. And a lot of it comes down to this spirit of submission. Why is it that we have trouble with authority? Why is it that we have trouble with accountability? Why is it that women would like to be free from the headship of men or that uh, uh, employees would like to be free from the headship of employers or that we sometimes would like to be free from the commands of Jesus Christ? Why is it? We think we can choose a better path, an easier path, a path that will lead us to happiness, a broader path, a a not-so-steep path. But the Bible tells us that these paths lead to destruction. Now, there's been this social experiment in the past five decades there's been an overturning of traditional biblical values within the home. Where verses like this, where wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands, they're even to reverence their husbands, of course, and husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and to be sacrificially committed to um, building them up and cherishing and nourishing them and uh, uh, investing in their wives, where this has become passe, old school, traditional, and 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 a block, a roadblock, a stumbling block on the way to to freedom of expression of individuality, and where women were saw this as a form of oppression, and so. You know, in the, in the name of, of, of women's liberation, we've had this experiment. And now they're doing some studies to see how is this experiment working out. Now that we have lots of objective progress where women are, um, you know, have, I think, even higher uh, lifespans and uh, certainly making more money and uh, sometimes even having better job security than men and and, and many of these measures uh, you know certainly freedom uh, the graduation rates they are doing better than men even <clears throat> so they did a study to see are they happier now than they were in 1960 and to their surprise, and the, and the title of the study is the, the perplexing um, 
and unhappiness of, of modern women or something like that, or, or declining, the, decl per the perplexing problem of the declining happiness of women. That's what the study is. It was done in 2009. And, and they try to, to search out various variables. Now, is this because of economics? But, but the same trend was true of, of, uh, of the rich, privileged ones in East Hampton versus the underprivileged single mothers in East L.A., there was the, no difference. So it wasn't race. It wasn't whether they were single mothers, which certainly you can understand would be a very difficult thing that would uh, give you some unhappiness. It, it didn't correlate with, the, with all these other external things they were trying to find an excuse for, and so they, they didn't really come up with an answer in the study, besides observing this declining happiness. But I think you and I could find the answer in the Word of God. That there is a happiness that when we are given a domain and we are nurturing that garden and we see the fruits of that, and we see the blossoming of that, that that is a very fulfilling thing. And that that is not to um, to say that oh you know a homemaker you know is 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 so uh, uh, not a, respected you know compared to someone we we compare based on you know money made or based on you know respect on you know some sort of male success ladder or something. Versus, you know, what God has built into us as giving us enjoyment and fulfillment of nurturing and seeing fruit. And that's why I think it's not surprising. Uh, uh, recently, someone gave me a, 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 uh, a documentary, a link to a documentary about uh, the Amish, that there was one family that was willing to, to be photographed, even though it's against their rules, so it's a very rare thing. And uh, so the BBC reporter is, is observing their daily life, and they notice that the, the wife is getting up at 4.30 in the morning to make her husband breakfast before he leaves for work. And so she, once the kids are out of the house, she asks now, you know, do you get up every morning? Oh, yeah, you know, and why do you do that? Oh, well, you know, I'm, she says in her, her meek uh, way, you know, I'm the queen of the house, and so I like to, you know, uh, take care of these things. And well, you know, can't your husband do that on his own? And yes, he could. Uh, he's quite capable, but, you know, he's got other responsibilities. And, and, and well, you know, is this, what does the Bible say on your role? Why do you do this? And, and she says, well, the Bible tells us that we should be keepers at home, that uh, we should you know, honor our husbands, uh, submit ourselves to our husbands, and that we should uh, uh, look well to the ways of our household. She said, quoting, you know, the, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. And I think the, the, uh, the, the reporter, uh, the female reporter, was, you know, shaking her head a little bit and said, well, you know, do you like that? Are you happy with that? What do you think about those roles? And she says, oh, I think it's perfect. I think, you know, this is perfect order that God has placed. And, and she was obviously very happy with it. And I think this is something that's missing, that our, our poor current generation 
of women that feel they need to be something other than you know what God has designed them to be, or, or men that that think they can take advantage of women and not be committed and not invest in a relationship that can 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 um, can uh, use without reusing. That's the same kind of <laughs> colonial oppressive thinking, or that. We think that uh, we can be free from church authority because we'll be freer and happier and we can do our own thing. Uh, we'll, there's so many things we're restricted from doing because we care about other people and we don't want to hurt them. Or we think there's so many things that uh, we could do as a, as a, you know, we see the turmoil in nations because the Bible speaks to that. In, in Romans 13, as it tells us about us being subject unto every law of man, not, not because of the consequence, the sword that the government can execute on us, but for conscience sake, because we do it because we realize God has placed authority in, in our lives for good. And even if it's an abusive authority, we know we answer ultimately to God, the Authority at the time was corrupt Nero uh, dictatorship, but that we still are going to submit to authority. And as we look even in our own bodies, as, as, as God has given in us an evidence of his perfect design, fallen though it may be, and how every member works together, and how every cell has intricacies that we're only now starting to be able to visualize and and, and dimly able to understand, and there's so much we don't understand yet, but all gives glory to God. But yet, every one of those trillion cells, though independently functional, you know, works together, communicates, and is subject to a central nervous system and a central control. And so we also are subject to a, a benevolent leadership to to. Uh, a lordship of Jesus Christ who clearly is committed to our well-being and that it's in this rebellious spirit of, of, of the first um, rebel who said, I, I'm just as good. I will ascend. I will take the place. I will rule. And we can read about those who followed him who didn't keep their first estate, they didn't keep within the bounds of their own dominion that God had given them that they could make flourish and make beautiful and multiply. Instead, the grass was greener. And even our first forefathers also thought that fruit was attractive and that they could leave their bounds and be like God if they could exceed these limits. And it's when we try to break out of those domains and when we seek to evade the loving leadership, the servant leadership of the authority in our lives that we cause ourselves harm and that we end up being unhappy. And so I think here is a perfect picture of God's perfect plan for each one of us. It requires one thing, for us to submit 
our will to his higher will in the fear of God. And then we can experience the blessing of God in so many areas from from marriage, from, you know, the uh, the work and school domains, even to our spiritual lives, to, to those friends, I, I, I ask you, do you, are you happy? Are you happy running your own life? I remember uh, someone sharing with me how they didn't understand the gospel really and the love of God and all of that and they wanted to do their own thing and as they came to an age where now they had the freedom to make these choices, they started to realize the the consequences of those choices and the mistakes that could be made and that drove them back to, to the loving arms of God where they could be under his loving leadership. And so I want to offer that to you too, my dear friend. It's a lie that happiness is on the other side of the fence. Happiness is fulfilling the will of God of his very good creation. And is accepting his very good, loving servant leadership in your life. As he is the way, the truth, and the life that will lead you to happiness and blessing both here and in eternity. May God bless his word. Number 183, the first two verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for another morning that you have given to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which strengthens us, which teaches us, which opens our eyes once again, Lord, to thy will, to thy understanding. Father in heaven, 
we have to be reminded daily because we are weak, because, Lord, we stray daily. We, we are so far from thee, Lord. Father in heaven, there is perhaps a desire many times that we would do the right thing, but we fail because of our own ways, because of our perhaps thinking it's too hard to do the will of God. Perhaps, it's, perhaps we get bored along the way. Perhaps we, are, perhaps we are just in our own world at times, not, not listening to the word of God, not taking it in and not taking it seriously. Father, we pray, forgive us, Lord. Perhaps each and everyone can examine themselves this morning and see where they stand with God. How close are they to God? How do we obey thee, Lord? If we cannot obey thee, how can we obey each other? How can we be good to each other if we're not faithful to, in those little things, and those things, Lord, that thou requires of us that, that are so small, Lord, and for our own good? Father, we pray that thou would help us, Lord, not to go on feelings, but to, on truth and on understanding of thy will and not our own will. Father, we have great examples in thy word, in, thy, in the Bible, Lord, Perhaps one of the greatest we remember would be perhaps Solomon who asked God what he would, God asked him what he would, and he answered God that which was pleasing to him, and yet God gave him so much that he could not contain, like the word does say. Perhaps we do not realize this, Lord, that they can give us above what we can ask, but because we do not ask and because we do not trust, we do not receive. Father, we pray for those they could not come into the house this morning. Father, we're reminded of Monica, who was ill for a long time. We pray for those others, Lord, that are sick with cancers, with infirmities of the flesh. Father, we pray for those, Lord, that do not know you. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to them, to help them, Lord. Help us, Lord, to stop being selfish and give more of ourselves. Father, we pray there is so much to be said, Lord, so much to be asked. We pray, Lord, that thou would add above what we cannot ask of thee. But for all your goodness and for all your mercy, Lord, we thank you. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
few, two, two short uh, thoughts I wanted to leave with you. As I said, we were away uh, this week. Uh, IBM had sent me away to a conference in Orlando, which is famously known for being Disney World. And there in the gate, as you go in, it says, Disney World, where dreams come true. And it's a place uh, where uh, it caters to the imagination, especially especially of the young, and uh, people are probably thinking they're in the epitome of perhaps this world's entertainment. But even though you're in what's supposedly a magical place, you bring yourself there. And you can still see, in spite of all the entertainment and options, you see humans. Uh, Parents who may not be practicing dominion over their children, and children who are very demanding and cranky, and parents who are frazzled, and it's not paradise. Because there are fallen people there. And it kind of shows that no matter what the setting, if we go there, you know, in our selfish pursuit of, of, of our own pleasure, we won't find true happiness there. The place won't bring us happiness. On the other hand, there's a story told about a woman who, who married a very tyrannical husband. He was very demanding. He, he wrote down a specific list of all of his expectations that he wanted to have done for him as a husband and her as, as a wife. And it was very oppressive. And uh, he died sometime later, and she remarried. And her second husband uh, was very different, and she was very much in love with him and, you know, Uh, had a beautiful relationship with him, and sometime later she came across this list that her first husband had given her. And as she went through the list, she noticed that she was now doing everything on this list for her second husband, but not out of a sense of of fear and obligation, but out of of a response of love and gratitude for this beautiful relationship. And, and, and therein is a picture for us of what God wants that he has initiated and has given us this love. And that in response, we can submit not out of fear and out of obligation and, and, and thinking about hell and consequences, but simply in response to his loving initiative as he is the husband to us, that we can in love want to serve and follow, and it is in our best interest. And therein, in that submitted will, in that unselfishness, in that submitting one to another, we do find true happiness. May the Lord bless these few words.